0: all right good morning everyone my name is Krista Applequist and I teach public speaking here at Moraine Valley and welcome to did I lose my mic no you no. right. is it on okay welcome to our Hamilton panel I'd like to open with showing you a short clip from Hamilton the musical all right so that was a clip from the musical Hamilton this musical was based off of the 2,000 page historical biography of Alexander Hamilton Okay, so Alexander Hamilton. He was from the West Indies, and he grew up in poverty, and he was also an illegitimate child, meaning he was born out of wedlock, which at the time was a huge shame, something he would have liked to forget. He eventually studied financial and banking systems and learned to trade, and immigrated to the United States, where he would eventually become one of our founding fathers. He's the guy on the $10 bill, and he was our first Secretary of Treasury He also fought in battle alongside George Washington. One of his skills was writing. Alexander Hamilton studied writing and he was very well read. He ended up going to Columbia University at the time it was called King's College in New York to study and develop his craft. Once in the United States he would write essays um, arguing for a lot of different topics but in particular that we should fight for our independence from Britain. And, of course, these essays were so well-written. This is him as a college student. They were so well-written that they would get published in local newspapers and magazines. And then other people who disagreed with him would you know, write counter-essays and publish them. But Alexander Hamilton was so good at writing, he would then write an essay refuting the people who were countering him. And sometimes he sort of worked in a little ridicule in a civil way, and he was very creative with his use of language. And so in 2016... You've got hip hop artist and musical producer Lin-Manuel Miranda, who sees Hamilton's story and says, "Wow, that's that sort of parallels, you know, a lot of uh, hip hop narratives. This guy who used his skills to, you know, bring himself out of poverty, right? It kind of makes you think of that movie Eight Mile with you know, rapper Eminem, who used his own." Um, abilities and skills with language, to have these rap battles, and eventually became famous. And So I guess I can see the parallels. But I was reading in Slate Magazine when um, Lynn manuel Miranda actually met the author of the 2,000-page historical biography of Hamilton, Ron Chernow, and he met him and he said, your, your biography's awesome. I think it should be a musical sung in hip-hop. And the author was like, what? <laughs> So it was, it's kind of a unique thing that this was able to happen. And that's what this panel is about, is the medium used to convey Hamilton's story and the significance of that. Any communication professor, myself included, and everyone up here will tell you, language use is important. Words matter. And if you ever doubt that, just look at what happens when Donald Trump forgets to turn off his microphone. Um, a good orator or writer uses wording, phrasing, language, to paint a mental image in the listener's mind, much like how a painter uses colors to create you know, a physical image for us. The words you choose shape the reality that the listener or reader experiences, the actual phrasing I'm talking about. Individual words or phrases, they can divide people, they can empower people, okay, or they can demean or dehumanize people. They can be used ethically or unethically, but the medium, the actual way we convey a message actually shapes the reality that the listener experiences. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, how Lin-Manuel Miranda, as a hip hop artist in 2016, chose hip hop as a medium to convey Alexander Hamilton's story. So we're gonna be looking at that and some of the language used and the significance of that to help you appreciate and understand um, this, this form of art here. So with me today, I have a panel of uh, communication literature and English professors. We've got um, Professor Millsap Spears over here. We've got Professor Beauchamp. I'm Krista Applequist. As I mentioned, I teach speech. And we've got Professor Hogan and Professor Coleman Hall. Okay, um, I think I will start. And we're just going to let this panel be fluid and and open and sort of chime in when they want. But I will actually begin with Professor Beauchamp right here. Um, Professor Beauchamp. What is your reaction to Lynn Miranda's um, hip hop musical Hamilton?
1: Well, um, to be honest, when I found out that we were going to choose Hamilton as the text for our one book project at Moraine Valley, um, I realized I was not a specialist at all in musicals. I I prefer my Springsteen and Shakespeare on separate stages. Um, But then I began to think about how I teach poetry to my students. And my students sometimes fall in one of two camps. They either love it or they hate it. Until we start talking about the way that they encounter poetry every day in their lives. And that's the music that they listen to, the soundtrack that follows them around, whether they're working out or driving to or from school. And we make a connection between poetry and music. Uh, And then we begin to really understand that poetry is a special means of uh, conveying information um, to one another, and we listen to it all the time. And so this particular play, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda uses a combination of narrative with hip hop, rap, and pop in order to create kind of a, a seeming together of the 21st century and the 18th century. He makes it through his use of hip and, hop and music, relevant to us again. Um, and so I just remember when I was preparing for this, going through some news archives and seeing young people reciting the songs from Hamilton uh, verbatim. And I thought, how great, they're learning about Alexander Hamilton, right? One of the ghostliest figures of our founding father. Um, we we he, he does grace one of our, our currencies, but who carries cash <laughs> around anymore, right? <laughs> so, <Or ten. laughs> right, Right, exactly. Um, he so he right. he's able to Where's use ten language ten to bring this, you know, kind of ghostly character to life on the stage. He goes from a one-dimensional character through to a three-dimensional character. Um, and Krista, uh, you mentioned Ron Chernow, um, the writer of the, bio- of the biography upon which this is based. And this is a quote that I found from him that I think kind of sums up uh, what, he is, what he is able to accomplish uh, with this play. He says, uh, this is Ron Chernow, two or three months after our first mee- meeting, Lin-Manuel asked if he could come over to my house and sing something for me. He sat on my living room couch, began to snap his fingers, then sang the opening song of the show. How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore, etc.' when he finished, he asked me what I thought. And I said, I think that's the most astonishing thing I've ever heard in my life. He had accurately condensed the first 40 pages of my book into a four-minute song. And he had forged a unique idiom that blended formal 18th-century speech with 21st-century slang. Filtered through Lin-Manuel's extraordinary mind, the lyrics sounded natural and spontaneous and all of a piece. Next thing I knew, he sent me an email and said to go to YouTube, where he had performed it for the Obamas, Uh, and received a standing ovation. Um, So I I think that that shows us what poetry does, uh, and in this case, the the hip-hop and and rap and pop here, is that it distills human experience down to its essence. So he's able to do in a couple of songs what it took the biographer, 40 pages, to accomplish. And to me, that's a magical thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so Lynn... Manuel Miranda did make some history accessible, meaning we can actually understand it in an entertaining way and grasp it for many audiences who may not ever pick up a 2,000-page historical biography. Um, And that's the beautiful thing about Hamilton. But it comes with its own cost. Actually, Professor Hogan, would you like to weigh in on that?
2: Um, Well, can I just add, with the the White House performance, it was at a a poetry event Uh, when it was first performed. So it's exactly what you're saying. but w- hip hop is uh, in many ways the only way that Hamilton could be, uh, the story could be told, uh, simply because of the pacing. Uh, the, the story is so rich with detail and characterization that to me it's more like a taking a book and adapting it for like an HBO series of like 10 hour long episodes, as opposed to turning a book into a 90 minute movie where you have to make cuts as far as time, uh, but there was a, a remarkable article that came out last year that actually looked at the, uh, the quantity of words in Hamilton compared to other musicals. Could we put that up? Um, yeah, I have the tab in, and it just shows objectively, like how many more words there are in Hamilton compared to uh, typical musicals. And, and this article looks at—if you go down, there's a graph like midway through. Uh, things like Phantom of the Opera, uh, uh, Oklahoma, classic musicals. You could see that the total word count in the, in the cast-length album for Hamilton, there's, there's over 20,000 words in, in this musical. And compare it to the next closest in total words, Phantom of the Opera is 6,700 words. Um, it's, you know, it's much longer than the ones that they're comparing. But even if you look at words per minute, that last graph, it's, it averages 144 words per minute throughout the entire musical. The next closest was Spring Awakening uh, at 77 words per minute. Quick plug, by the way, Spring Awakening is going to be the Moraine Valley musical this year. <laughs> <if you're laughs> <so>. But uh, <laughs> Craig will like that. Uh, but, uh, and when you listen to the entire album, or if you're fortunate enough to see the musical, you know they're not all like rap battles, where it's like rapid fire pacing. I mean, there's a lot of R&B songs, there's definite mix and pace throughout. But just the sheer quantity of words there, um, Miranda himself in a 2015 interview, he said uh, you could do a Les Mis type musical about Hamilton, but it would have to be 12 hours long. (laughs) Because the amount of words on the bars when you're writing a typical song, that's maybe got 10 words per line. Whereas here you can cram all this crap in at the margins, Um, (laughs) and they actually did the numbers. There's a graph below this if you want to show, Troy, where he was off a little bit. It it wouldn't take 12 hours to tell this story if it weren't in hip hop, but if it was, for example, written like the Pirates of Penzance, it would take nearly six hours. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it's just funny that they actually did the numbers on all of this, But, uh, but you can see, I mean, without the form, and Miranda said this itself, it's that the content and the form were so perfectly matched to tell this story because uh, it is a remarkable uh, piece of literature in its characterization, in the contextual detail. I mean, when you get the cabinet battles and they're talking about arguments where it's not broad strokes. I mean, they get into details and and the, the digs from Jefferson back to Hamilton are just so like, Uh, Perfectly hip hop in the sense that it's like it gets right to the bone. It's specific. It's vivid, um, but it's not sacrificed uh, in in uh, to tell a story with such scope. There really weren't too many sacrifices made, which is really remarkable. I mean, the thing I compare it to is uh, my favorite TV show, a lot of people's favorite TV show, The Wire. And when you watch that every single season of The Wire, the biggest compliment that people paid to that was they, they called it Dickensian. And meaning if you read Charles Dickens, you get this granular level of detail, uh, hundreds of characters per novel, and a world fully created. Um, and you can do that in the form of a novel because you have so many more words to work with, right? I mean, you, you can write uh, a 2000 word biog- autobiography, or biography. You can write uh, you know a Dickensian length novel. But in the musical, because of the constraints of the music itself. Um, And then when the considerations of storytelling are added with, you know, you need catchy tunes and you need, you know, um, so much to be done. I mean, writing a musical is such this incredible uh, feat, but I've never come away feeling as sort of immersed in a world as I have with Hamilton. And I I think that you can't, There's no other way to explain it except for just the sheer quantity of words that are there to actually create the world.
0: And as I was saying, when you do turn something into a musical, of course it has its costs, as you pointed out, usually in content that is lost because it's so glazed over. Um, In addition, with Hamilton, there are, of course, people who are like, oh, no, I'm not going to go see that that's fast, it's rap, it's too fast. It's, there are audiences that are, of course, left out. People who are like, oh, no, give me your slow ballads any day, your Phantom of the Opera style, where y- you because know, it is a more focused audience at this time. And now with any musical or TV show or anything, there's often the people who are like, well, that's great, but I read the book, and <laughs> let me point out to you some of the inaccuracies. And um, so toward, to bring in some sort of... Um, different perspective on that I would like to turn it over to Professor Millsap Spears no I need you to be please (laughs) oh
1: okay
3: all right thank you well I my honors 101 class is actually creating podcasts of I don't wanna say of Hamilton, but they're taking topics out of Hamilton. and They're recording uh, five to 10 minute podcasts, discovering different things about it. They actually voted and decided that's what they wanted to do because they have a lot of fans in the class. We love it, we love it, we love it. And I said, okay, let's start taking it apart. Those, I have my 101 class here today and they know we take everything apart. We look at all the pieces. And so we then we have an academic look at it. So I actually have two groups of students who were super fans of Hamilton who have started now to question a few things about the man Hamilton versus the character of Hamilton in the musical. And I said, well, the biggest difference is there's an audience, right? A Hamilton on stage is for entertainment right? I'm supposed to be entertained. So there is some level of uh, rhetorical messaging there versus if I'm doing a historical look at something. So with that being said, I will say a couple of things about, you know, I am a literary scholar. I actually did a couple of um, pieces about musicals in the past. But one thing that you can notice about stories and narratives that we tell, stories tend to be what we call social regulation in some way. They kind of show dominant messages in culture. So the idea of bootstrapping your way up to the top, (laughs) that Hamilton's poor and then he's gonna make his way in the world by himself and that kind of thing is sort of highlighted in a lot of reviews of Hamilton. The text is actually more complicated. He had a lot of mentoring from different people in his past and in his present in the musical. But there's one thing that you know, people can just say, oh, well, he did it, so everyone should be able to do it. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily a, a fair comparison. We have to kind of think about all the complexities of that. So I think there's that's one issue. And then two historians. I actually found a couple of really interesting articles. Um, Lira Montero, who published something in Public Historian, um, she basically said that if we're supposed to try to reach people of color by putting people of color in the roles of... Alexander Hamilton and George Washington and Aaron Burr, she she actually had something very um, important to say about that. She said, "Is this the history that we most want Black and Brown youth to connect with, one in which Black lives clearly do not matter? Because you can't forget that you know the the slave trade was there. <laughs> Jefferson and Washington were involved in that, so we cannot say that that didn't happen." So. Um, and Alexander Hamilton was in the West Indies and worked for a shipping company. So these are real issues that historians are bringing up. Um, Another one, Nancy Eisenberg basically said, you know, this is not historical accuracy. It is a great thing to watch for entertainment, but you have to be careful. And she basically said that Aaron Burr wasn't the bad guy. (laughs) <laughs> so there's there's some there's some differences there. Um, and then the other issue, I think, too, is the language. We've talked about that a little bit, and I actually thought a lot about that, you know, as a literary scholar and, and someone who reads a lot of things. Shakespeare wrote for his audience, and his audience saw it. Um, you know, I think we also have to think about the audience for Hamilton. It's on Broadway in New York, and it's a lot of critics have said that's a very, 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 um, caucasian audience and is that important you know so that's something also to be said of where does this go in the future how do we get more people actually interested in it and how do we help spread um you know this great messaging because there are a lot of great points i don't want to be the one that's down on hamilton (laughs) (laughs) i don't want to be that person there's a lot of great points in there but i think we have to if we're going to look at it academically we have to be fair
0: yeah, it is interesting that point you made about how, oh, you know, here it is, it's in hip hop, it's it's designed to reach the very you know young audiences of today who normally might not access this level of history. Oh yeah, find me one who can afford to buy a ticket and go see Hamilton right now. <laughs> so yeah. um, that is interesting. And yes, it's the bootstraps narrative that we as America love, and but yet is quite unrealistic. Yeah. Trends have shown that people born in poverty often stay there, they don't have the connections and and the means that people who are born in a more privileged, you know, um, socioeconomic class do. And in fact, in the book, it does note that Alexander Hamilton was poor. But uh, when he was in the West Indies, you know, small town, this this very wealthy man whom Alexander Hamilton happened to just look a whole lot alike. Okay, remember, Alexander Hamilton was born out of wedlock, but this this man just out of the blue that kind of knew his mom and like I said, the two looked a lot alike. He had some connections for him, and he actually helped him get jobs and things like that. Of course, that doesn't make it quite into the m- musical because that doesn't really suit that bootstraps metaphor that we're that we're you know critiquing right now. Okay, all right. So to um, change the topic just a little bit, Professor Coleman, your students have been working with the text. Would you like to share some of their insights?
4: Sure. Um, I. I first want to respond to the issue of audience, and this is one of the questions that was raised in my class because the students in my COM 101 class um, were required, we do a rhetorical analysis every year, um, last year, it was a political campaign ad, but the, the politics this semester are, are way too bad to try to get involved with. Um, s- but since we have this as the one book, I thought it would be great for the students to actually choose a song from the musical and do a rhetorical analysis on that. So before the students started writing, we talked a bit about audience, we read a little bit about um, audience, um, some of the things Manuel uh, uh, Miranda said about his intent but also what others have said about his audience Um, and with the fact that the cast is mostly a cast of color playing the old dead white men, right, Um, as we talk about them in the academic world. Um, And so we, we talked about this issue of, him wanting to connect to a younger audience, not just people of color, but a younger kind of millennial audience in general, but also people of color, but yet the audiences who are purchasing tickets are those with means and who can afford $300 for a ticket, and that generally is white. And it's not just, I think, about the, how much the ticket is. The culture of Broadway and the history of Broadway has generally been a culture of middle-class white people Partly because um, historically those are the ones with the means, but also if we we think about segregation, um, people of color, blacks in particular, weren't allowed to go to Broadway. So that was never really something that um, really picked up within particularly the black community. So now we have this show where we have rappers and we have a black cast and we have these people, but we don't see people of color in the audience, which to some degree is a problem. Um, but I, I'm thinking about my own perspective on this. I think this is also probably a very interesting experiences for the mostly white, middle class audiences as well to see um, um, Hamilton and other um, uh, you know, early leaders, founding fathers, politicians, played by white char- uh, black and, and Latino characters and what does that mean and how does that shape their understanding of people. I think that does a whole kind of turning things upside down even for that audience and I think if it's even if it's mostly a white audience that's a good thing for them. So um, I do have a couple of students who told me after we did this assignment I got tickets and I was like did you get me one? Um, (laughs) So students are certainly interested even students who don't have a whole lot of money in figuring out how to get to this show so I'm really excited about that. Um, But what I wanted to read or a couple of pieces from some of the student papers. Their analysis on the audience. So um, many of you may be familiar with this from your COM 101 or from your COM um, 103 classes, where you're talking about rhetoric and you're talking about appeals. But the students had to figure out um, how effective or ineffective, conversely. Um, Manuel's words in the song were appealing to his intended audience and we had determined early in the semester that his intended audience was young people, students, could be high school students, could be college students but essentially we thought about it as largely the millennials, right? People who would be familiar with um, hip-hop culture, black or white or Latino, didn't matter, the ethnicity. Students were very clear that it wasn't just about um, blacks and Latinos, even though that's who portrayed the characters, but it really was just about young people. And so I just want to read a couple of um, passages from some of the essays that they wrote in attempting to analyze the songs. Now, they were able to choose any of the 46 songs. So um, not surprisingly, the song My Shot was one of the most popular, um, but some students also chose um, the uh, opening song, the Alexander Hamilton song, and then also some other ones as well. Um, One student writes, um, in this musical, Miranda starts with a song called Alexander Hamilton. The song uh, starts off saying, how does a bastard, an orphan, son of a whore, and a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten, I, I kind of want to rap, <laughs> um, sorry, but I'm not really good at it, um, in the Caribbean by Providence, impoverished and squalor grow up to be a hero and a scholar, close quote. The student says, this appeals to the audience by using pathos. It gets to the audience's emotions because many of them would feel sympathetic because of Alexander's upbringing specific line because it captures the whole song and what it's about the purpose of this song is to show the way Alexander was brought up and that it wasn't easy the audience Miranda is trying to reach can relate to this because some people grew up without a father in their life people assume if you come from a broken home like Alexander then you can't be successful because you don't have a father and this kind of um, adds to the point about this kind of bootstrap narrative and this idea that we can all make it um, albeit that's somewhat of a dream and we don't always make it, and a lot of poor people often don't get out of poverty. But certainly, this is something that resonates with this audience, and that was the thing that the student was picking up on. Can I just read one more? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'll read um, one more from another student who is writing about the uh, which song is this? Um, all right, I got to find this here. Uh, This is the song, I can't find the title of the song, but this is the battle with um, Lafayette and um, uh, some of the other characters. But the student writes, um, furthermore, Miranda appeals to pathos by using Lafayette's strong delivery on his dialogue and his patriot patriotic enthusiasm against the Redcoats. Lafayette states, quote, I'm taking this horse by the reins, making Redcoats redder with bloodstains, accompanied with and I'm never going to stop until I make them drop and burn them and scatter their remains. The student writes, these lines show Lafayette's clear opposition against the British Army and makes the listener aware of his determination to fight. Lafayette has a strong emotional conflict for the British, which works well as an appeal to pathos. The reader can feel the tension and necessity to defeat the British through Lafayette's choice of words, such as never going to stop, enrage, redder with bloodstains, since they stand out amongst his lines. And then the student goes on to just talk about this idea of, of conflict and that resonating with students and being able to win, being able to overcome, um, which I think, again, um, adds to this whole idea of um, beating the odds, right, which is kind of this overarching theme that Hamilton is this character who beats the odds. Yeah, and beating the odds
0: is is a popular narrative, and we absolutely love that. And I remember when I first, you know, saw, I obviously haven't seen the musical, but when I first looked at a YouTube clip of that opening song not not going to miss my shot or not going to give up my shot i was struck by the word shot emphasized yeah. so much right in the opening as an obviously familiar foreshadow to you know how alexander hamilton obviously meets his 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 end And And I want to clarify something about this bootstraps metaphor. We keep talking about the narrative of anybody can rise up out of poverty. Uh, As teachers here, we are not telling you, oh, just so you know, if you're, you know, we're born kind of poor, that's it for you. You're staying that way. That is not it at all. Obviously, we're here at an educational institution to empower ourselves to do better. It's that we criticize the metaphor because it glazes over all the unfair barriers that people born in a lower uh, socioeconomic class face, that people born in a more privileged class just do not face. And we we don't like how that narrative sort of ignores those things and just only emphasizes on individual motivation, which all of us have um, a lot of that. So Carrie, did you want to jump in? I just wanted
3: to jump in something about structure. So talking about rhetorical analysis and how to look at the the whole play you can look at the pieces of the play you can look at or the the musical and look at the actual individual songs you can also look at how it's put together as a whole and one thing that I was reading um, about the the production is that Miranda did not want to end at the end of the war so if you ever listen to the musical the battle of Yorktown you know yay we win but then the musical goes on and so he didn't want to end it there because he was very concerned about what happened after the war. And he actually has this really kind of fun character of King George from England that I just find him hilarious when I listen to what the songs that he sings. The music is this really tinny kind of sound to it that makes him sound silly. He's dressed really ornately um, in the photos and things I've seen of the actor in costume. And he says stuff like, um, I'll just read you this... Uh, you cheat with the French. Now I'm fighting with France and Spain. I'm so blue. I thought we'd make an arrangement when you went away. You were, so m- you were mine to p- subdue. Well, even despite our estrangement, I've got a small query to, for you. What comes next? So he asks them a rhetorical question, and then the musical attempts to answer it after that. And I think that's another um, layer to the rhetorical situation of the, of the whole musical.
0: Yeah, that was a breakup song, I think. Yeah, it was. what (laughs) we were hearing there (laughs) in that one. Uh, Before I turn it over to comments and questions from the audience, what other insights?
2: Well, uh, can I offer some advice? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) How about that? You know, I think there's two ways to consume this musical, well, that I'd recommend. First, see it. But, you know, getting tickets is difficult and it's expensive. But the second one, and I, I like this one, is by yourself in a car, blasted, you know, on your way to work or after you've watched a dispiriting presidential debate or you're not <laughs> feeling good and you put it on and there's so many tracks to choose from depending on your mood. But as you would listen to like your favorite songs in the car, you know, this works very well in that way. And uh, we were talking before the panel about like what to say and one of the things is these words, they, they fill you with all sorts of emotions. you know. That's what great poetry does. That's what great music does. Um, and hip-hop, the lyrics are so much a part of that. Uh, so how you consume it, and uh, that's something that I would just emphasize, enjoy it. That's kind of why we got into doing what we do in the first place. It's not to make money. It's not, you know, it's because we have a passion for words and for literature and all its various media and forms. and. Uh, this one is just there for you to enjoy in so many ways. So I would say enjoy it, you know, definitely think about it. And it's amazing to dissect it and analyze it, but, uh, you know, enjoy it.
0: Yeah, as teachers, we want you to know that you already have the cognitive ability to, to reap pleasure from words. You do it already when you listen to your favorite songs or if you go to an open mic poetry slam. And humans have have been doing this for centuries. If you think about the very first theatrical productions of the ancient Greeks, the tragedies and comedies, they were in rhyming verse, they were Mm -hmm. poems. And so was Shakespeare, and so is hip hop music, and so is rap, and so is country music, and so is a lot of things like that. So this isn't novel in that respect. And of course you you can just enjoy it so much if you focus on that and look at what they're doing with the language. That's what we're trying to build in all of you is that appreciation.
1: Yeah, to kind of go off of what Crystal was saying about um, how we use poetry in our lives every day, um, think back to whenever you were little. It's the way that you first started learning about the world, right? One, two, buckle my shoe, right? (laughs) Three, four, and how many of you in the audience, when you have to alphabetize something, sing the alphabet song? Admit it, I'm I'm seeing some (laughs) head shake at you
3: too.
1: so we, we use poetry, we use music, and it goes all the way back even before we were born. The first sound we all hear in the womb is that of the heartbeat, right? The beat. And that comprises a lot of the poetry and the music that energizes us and that is, fills a part of this, of this musical as well. And one more point, I just want to plug the power of literature. When we study literature, we study everything. We study history. We study religion, we study socioeconomic issues, we study gender issues, power issues, language, of course. So it gives us the opportunity to kind of look through all of these lenses uh, simultaneously. So when you listen to Hamilton, think about that too.
3: I just wanted to jump in too about, it can be inspirational and Yes, we could have barriers to things. I'm a first-generation college student myself. Neither of my parents finished uh, high school, actually. So um, there were a lot of barriers that I had to overcome, and it wasn't easy, but I did have a few people around me that could help me. So if you are in that situation, look for those people. And I think that's one thing that Hamilton does, and he does this in the musical. And my only point about it was the critics are kind of latching onto that and kind of making that the meme of the musical. But in fact, if you actually read the lyrics or watch you know, the performances or listen to it, you can see that he does have mentorship throughout, and that's what really helps people um, get through some tough times. So he uses that to his benefit. And so I do think that's an important point. But on the flip side, if you just read the uh, quick... Uh, Wikipedia synopsis—that's the kind of stuff that you'll see there, and that's what a lot of historians and a lot of, um, you know, scholars like we are, kind of um, take issue with, because that stuff doesn't just happen. Um, it takes a lot of a lot of work um, on the part of the person and on um, on the mentors.
0: Yeah, she used that phrase 1st generation college student," meaning she's the first one in her immediate family to go to college. Is that the case for any of you out there? Can you raise your hand? Or did your parents go to college? Your parents have college degrees? Yeah. Okay, yeah, some do, some don't. Yeah, we actually study that as teachers here because it's a concern. Sometimes some families don't offer the support and mentorship to their first generation college students because they just don't know. They just don't have the frame of reference for it. And some tend to have more support in that area than others and that's a big deal.
4: Can I just say that really quickly? I I think, interesting, she's talking about um, the historical accuracy and this kind of theme that he pulled himself up by his bootstraps, but in fact he did have help. I think that fits perfectly with rap and hip-hop culture because you have many rappers telling the stories about hardship, and they come from middle-class families. Um, Kanye West's mother was a professor at Chicago State University. I mean, it wasn't, not to say that his life wasn't difficult, but it's interesting that these are just things that we throw out because we know that this is how you pull in audiences we're humans and our emotions are easily pulled we don't care about logic we don't care that two plus two equals four if we're emotionally um, touched by something that's what's interesting to us and that's one of the conversations I had with the students when we talk about um, ethos, pathos and logos and we talk about a little bit about Aristotle that was one of the warnings that he had is that um, while he thought logic was the the most important most often, people used emotions because, particularly in, in Aristotle's day, the audience wasn't really educated. So um, they could kind of get away with emotionally moving people without them thinking logically about something. But it's certainly an appeal that is attractive in this musical, but also in hip hop culture in general, right? We want to hear the story of the you know, poor black kid who made it from the projects. We don't want to hear the story of you know, the, the kid from the show Blackish. Whose parents are wealthy, and they, you know, they have all of these advantages, and they're on their way to Princeton. We don't mm-hmm. want to hear that story, and so I don't know what does that say about us. as yeah. <laughs> not <Yes. laughs>
2: But I think uh, narrative lends itself like we love stories of agency, you know, where characters are in control of their destiny. Um, but what I think is so remarkable about this play is there's also the context is fully brought to life, and it's not just this individual. Because uh, I think Carrie said that when you actually uh, w- listen to the musical, you see that it's more complicated than simply by his bootstraps, that there are, uh, Washington is a key mentor, that there's groups of friends, that there are events beyond his control. Um, but often in narrative, you sacrifice the fuller, complete picture. You, you sacrifice the context just because question of individual characters, the choices they make determine everything. They're more compelling. They're easier to understand. You know, we'd like that to be true. It's unfortunate that it's it's not the full picture.
3: I would also like to add that the narrative, I think, in this piece is very allegorical to our current political climate in a lot of ways. Um, yes, it's supposed to be set in the American Revolution, but I do think that we're seeing a whole different side to America now with um, changing, um, landscapes and and places and and different things that are happening. So I think that he's actually tapping into a current feeling that um, people are having. So definitely the audience of the Millennials, they're changing everything. And maybe
0: that's a good thing. (laughs) All right, I would now like to turn this discussion over to you all, the audience. What questions? or comments would you like to make, go ahead and stand up and I'll repeat the question so that everyone can hear it.
2: You always gotta wait a little bit. Can oh, we have I, can a
4: microphone back there
2: yes yeah. I'll cheat because I have my own microphone. Um, one way I've heard Hamilton described is as fan fiction. So the character in the musical isn't really like the real Alexander Hamilton. He's maybe more dynamic, maybe a little nicer, whatever. Um, but that uh, Miranda has rewritten history into this currency and taken ownership over that story. And that's part of one of the themes. I, I wondered what, what your thoughts were on that is like connecting to fan fiction, and reclaiming stories in uh, in that kind of way.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, I have the historian. I have the historian who who, um, who was kind of critical. Um, she basically said that. Um, Let's see. Left out of the upbeat story is that Hamilton and the Federalist Party he headed were hostile to the idea that the United States should ever be led by newcomers. So the whole idea of immigration and different kinds of things um, was definitely a problematic. Um, she goes on to say that um, that Burr really was more pro-immigration than Hamilton. She says that... Um, He, Burr says, America stood with open arms and presented an asylum to the oppressed of every nation. Shall we deprive these persons of an important right derived from so sacred source of our Constitution? So he was arguing that immigrants should be able to serve in high offices. So, I mean, I do think that that's something that's kind of not in the musical um, that's important. And I guess maybe... We have to have a protagonist and an antagonist, right, to kind of make something work. So I think that's probably part of this. (laughs) Go
2: ahead. I'm sorry. No, and (laughs) it's, I've read several interviews with Miranda talking about legacy as one of the big themes in the play. The last song is all about that. Who will tell your story? Um, And he wanted to include, apparently, Miranda said, uh, a final number of Eliza, the wife, who went on to live 50 more years after Hamilton died, and um, moved to Washington Heights in like the northernmost part, part of Manhattan and worked to sort of tell his story, to be his, uh, the, the one that would defend him and his name because naming and legacy are such a big part of it. <laughs> Another interesting thing is Miranda's first musical was something called In the Heights. I don't know if you're familiar with it. And it's a story about being Latino growing up in this neighborhood of Manhattan, Washington Heights. And he was like, Eliza lived in Washington Heights for 50 years after Hamilton died. And so he wanted to sample his own song from a previous musical he'd written in the final number. And he was like, that was just a little too cute. He couldn't get away with it. But I mean, as sampling such a major part of hip hop, that would have been an interesting way of telling it, looping it all the way back.
0: And Professor Beauchamp, you mentioned that when we study literature, we study everything, okay? Through through these narratives, we look at our world sociologically. We look at gender issues. We we look at history um, through these characters and through these narratives. Um, Professor Millsap Spears, we were talking earlier that actually a gender, mates, so yes, we we a gender <laughs> issue is sort of portrayed in Hamilton, that he brings in this feminist, yes. you know, like going to empower that particular voice where again another diversion from yeah
3: well the other issue that a lot of my students were actually interested in was the fact that um women's uh suffrage and things didn't happen yet a lot of students don't realize that women have only had the right to vote in this country for 100 years both of my grandmothers were born in uh, 1918 that you know makes me about dust i know but um neither were neither of their mothers were um able to vote so my great grandmothers were not able to vote um so it's an important issue to kind of bring up but one of the characters is a few lines about how um the women in hamilton are going to convince um jefferson to add women into the declaration of independence and i you know I i take real um issue with some of that because that's that's if you want to talk about fan fiction, I would definitely put that under fan fiction because <laughs> that definitely wasn't um, that. That struggle took a long time, and um, he kind of glosses over it,
0: right? As if like they were so open to the idea at right. the time when really it <laughs> when took women like, were a property. Revolution, <laughs> right? Exactly. It took a huge revolution of women's rights, uh, combined with the abolitionist movement, combined with the prohibition movement, to, to it took decades, like over a century, to you know get to get that changed. Yeah, definitely. Um, And now Professor Hogan had pointed out that there are more words crammed into such a small amount of time in the musical Hamilton. I want to play a clip uh, another song that I'm I'm told is the fastest song. Yeah, can you pull it up for me? Guns and Ships. Yeah, that's a good one. Now, of course, Lin-Manuel Miranda, is he the one who sings it? That particular one? Yeah. Oh, that
4: was the one that the students were talking about.
0: Oh my God, it's amazing! And by the way, I'm sure it's possibly checked out, but I have checked out the actual CD-ROM, so you can listen to all the tracks in your car. And this book we have in the library
3: that has all the lyrics and also has some of the pictures of the set designs and stuff. I thought was really interesting, and I enjoyed looking at it. And I enjoyed looking at Miranda's handwritten notes. Um, There's a page back here. Hopefully, I can find it. That. You can see all his scribbles because all of my stuff starts looks like that mm-hmm. everybody always looks at the end as the result of the perfect essay or something and of but course everything yeah. starts as a mess <laughs> and for leave me it to
0: a comm teacher to try to emphasize to you all that it's <laughs> always a process you always see this amazing <laughs> essay at the end or amazing performance at the end but I coach the speech and drama team and yeah Sometimes you'll see these like performances. It's like, well, you should have seen it when we first started. It was just a bunch of scribbles on notebook paper. Then we did it this way. Then we did it that way. We did it for a live audience, and it was terrible. So we changed some stuff. It's always, it's a process. It's a molding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: uh, we're ready. And the, you know, it's like the rapid pace, yeah. obviously, in that song. But Miranda was aware that, in musical theater, you have to, uh, it has to be comprehensible to the audience. So like the, all the words have to facilitate story and characterization. And uh, so imagine the balance he's making there in writing something that's that fast. But uh, it's not just rhyme schemes and meter. You're also thinking about like the order of information and what you emphasize and what you don't so the audience can understand the story. I mean, plot points and context. I mean, it's remarkable.
0: Right. I mean, he does deliver so much content. I mean, how many musicals have you seen where the whole song just proves the point that the friendship is strong or that the man is in love with the woman. And that's that's the whole song. But you get so much history and so Well, he so uses much the content. lines
3: so well. I mean, you can see it up here, the way the lines break. Um, that's a technical, poetic um, device. And he uses the breakage of lines extremely well. So if you actually look at the, the lyrics when they're printed, it's done extremely well.
1: Right. And so there, there may be some formalists who would argue that rap or, or hip-hop is not... Uh, is not poetry. I think that we see evidence to the contrary here. This is hard, and he makes it seem effortless. Um, It was, I believe, Robert Frost who said that writing in free verse is like uh, playing tennis without a net. Um, Here, we have very formal applications and cassettes that are used. Um, And it's astounding to me, because I know it's
4: hard work. Mm -hmm. I just want to kind of, for final comment. I, I'm thinking about it and actually li- I was listening to the song again as it was playing and still thinking about the question of historical accuracy and how important that might be and to some degree I feel like that wasn't his intention and I, and I feel like this kind of um, revolutionary, this sort of movement building theme kind of overarches this play. Even in some of the words in that song, this idea that the tides are changing. Well, if we look at the cast and the play, the tides are certainly changing. The, the numbers numerically are changing in terms of people of color in this country. Um, roles in which people of color are playing that we, we're seeing them in, um, which we typically didn't see them in in the past, are changing. So for me, uh, the, the question of how much of this is about some larger ideal or some larger, um, you know, from a political perspective, some larger agenda than it is about um, conveying Hamilton as accurate as as possible, but really looking at what can this bring to the millennials who are the you know change makers, the younger people, and the millennials, the colors on their faces are very different than they may have been 50, 60 years ago. Um, I think there's a large sort of underlying message of that that's playing out um, in, this, in this musical. Which
0: is that's a really good point. Maybe the rhetorical goal, if there is one, of the musical isn't to provide an accurate picture of, of history, instead more so an accurate picture of how times are changing today and how people are empowered today and how roles are changing today. Mm-hmm. So he's using, using that story, but yeah, the point isn't just absolute historical accuracy, here's exactly what happened. And in theater, it is it is difficult for people of color to get roles because, you know, in America the history of theater everything's written for you know white people, and but
4: they're throwing that on its head. Well, and and there is, I've heard writers, particularly writers of color, not just African-Americans, but Indian writers from India, I've heard um, writers being rejected um, because the publisher said, um, our audience doesn't want to hear a love story about two Indian people. And so the writer asked the publisher, well, who's your audience? And so the publisher said, well, we're talking mostly about white middle-class people. And so there's also this idea about what audiences want to see. And this play turns it on its head because audiences are flocking to see African-American American and Latinos rapping on stage in 18th century getup, you know. So it, it's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it kind of plays against this notion that yeah. somehow white people don't want to see people of color. I, I don't. I think it, that's, that that's an excellent point. Inaccurate. Yes, yeah. exactly.
0: That's a very positive point. Audience, comments, questions, insights, disagreements, points of objection. <laughs> yes, you in the yellow. She asked, did, did all of us see the play up here? No, I nope,
4: didn't it. we can't afford those tickets on our salaries. Yeah,
2: <laughs> no. That's, when, the first, when the idea was floated last year, or when it was announced they were gonna do Hamilton, I was like, how can we do this? You have to see, we're talking about theater, you, you have to experience it in person, it's an embodied form, and to just listen to the, uh, the, the, the CD, or to watch, you know, like, Telvin segments, but it is kind of an interesting way to think about it. I mean, we're experiencing it very differently than if you would were to see the play.
0: Why, wow, you got a bootleg copy for us? Because you know. <laughs> But I
4: will say I haven't seen the play, but I am a musical fan. So even just listening it, to it in my car, because I have been to many musicals, I, I can imagine that this is probably one of, would for me, be one of the most fantastic experiences, and maybe even in, in, in my lifetime, just because that being in that theater and then hearing the music but then also thinking about the music that comes from rap and hip-hop even if you don't like the words because i tend to not like rap and hip-hop words the way the music sounds i'm just imagining being in a theater and listening to that the beat and you know just kind of i could see myself like this you know through the whole play kind of going along with the music that it, it would be really a powerful experience but yeah, all of us have been
0: piecing this together with YouTube clips, with what we see on TV, with looking in the book with all the pictures, and of course, listening to the CD-ROM, yeah, and reading the actual biography. Great question, though. Great point. Someone else? Yeah, raise your hand. I'm curious. Ha- have any of you, and I won't put you on the spot and ask you to elaborate, but how, how many of you have seen Hamilton? How no.
1: many of you want to see Hamilton.
2: I love the people who don't want to see Hamilton, haven't seen Hamilton, and who have been here for an hour. Thank you. Thank you. I
4: love you.
0: And Professor Hogan, that is a great note for us to end on today. Thank you so much for coming to our panel.
2: Thank you.